World Class, Jim Crockett Promotions, Big Time Wrestling, Mid-South, $2 Late Fee Presents, Territory Marks, with Paul London and Zach Schaefer. The show that celebrates matches from the glory days of professional wrestling. From one man who lives it, and another man who loves it. Can you believe, Paul, that this is episode nine of Territory Marks? Nine. 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 <laughs> uh, yeah, I can't. I think it's pretty cool. I. It's been a. It's been a smooth ride up and down the territory so far, and I'm looking forward to plenty more road trips. Ditto, ditto, and ditto times nine. Um, we are wrapping up the end of the year of 2023. We're recording this in November. It's dropping in November. Happy Thanksgiving to everyone listening to this episode. Uh, hope you had a good one because by the time this airs, Thanksgiving will have already passed. You will have already emerged from your turkey coma. Yes, we're not going to be talking about the gobbledygooker or no. uh, anything of that sort. We're going to no. be celebrating Nature Boy Ric Flair. Thankful for Flair putting over talent. Thankful for nature. Would you say, Paul, that Ric Flair is the the most prolific wrestler of the 80s to put over talent? Meaning if you got a, like to get a victory over him, it was m more significant than anybody else? Yes. Yes, I would say so because yeah. he he was the traveling attraction. You know, I mean, he was the traveling attraction. He was the defending champion. Who was uh, doing sometimes? I would I, I know two two matches or two shows a day. Sometimes you know, do the mat the early matinee show, and then hop on a little flight uh, and go to the next one. I think that's where his he broke his back, wasn't it? In the plane crash, doing living off of such a schedule, you know. That's so, right. Um, that's why he takes his backdrops the way that he does. Those patented backdrops. Yeah, but that's why he can't he he can't land flat on his back. So that's why he bumps the way that he does, and it's one of those odd natural. Uh, well, I guess not so natural as a crash, but that was just one of those things that nature threw at the boy and it added to his profile and legacy because it's like his thing right the way that he bumps and the way that he, even when he gets thrown off the top turnbuckle which we won't see today but i know you're looking you're like i think that's in my match it's not and all you will see it's a double axe handle 
punch to the stomach. Oh yeah. Right. Well, look at yeah. you. Look at you already one upping me on my match. <laughs> <laughs> Good, because I need all your help to one one up me and pull me out of the uh. dredge uh for mine. So well, we're doing something different today. Uh, we're we're, we're kind of linking our two matches together in a way because they both feature Ric Flair at two interesting times during his career. You're talking about those back bumps he takes, those suplexes that he takes. Even on the hip toss, the reverse hip toss, he takes it weird. Yeah, the fact that he does all of that after having a broken back, like after injuring himself, that's got to be commendable, don't you think? Absolutely. 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 That's the thing. It's nobody ever, you know, it's always Kurt and his broken freaking neck. And before that, you know, before Kurt could, could proudly talk about his broken freaking neck, then, you know, he, (laughs) he wasn't going to run until Ric Flair laid the seeds for everybody by coming through with a broken back. But well, I'll tell you what, I broke my toe uh, a couple months ago and I, was so gentle on that for such a long period of time. <laughs> and I'm like, what should I be? Uh, I should not be complaining about this. I'm sure he was in a clam shell or whatever those type, you know, those things are. I can't remember right. what the recovery process was for his, um, his recovery. I, I, I can't remember, I, but either which way it's incredible. It's incredible, you know, and it, I think it's, it forced him to work the way that we've all become accustomed to the way that he is now. And um, you know, work smarter, not harder, right? Um, no doubt. So that's a great point. Yeah, he's it never gets the credit, I think, or you know, um, yeah, to have recovered from a broken back. You know? It's amazing, and it's amazing the run that. Well, whether you like it or not, whether he continues to have, uh, but but we don't focus on that. No, no. Your match specifically is in the heart of the territories. During the 80s, mine gets into the 90s, and we're starting to get a little close to that end of the era for territories. Uh, That's but we'll, right. We'll get to mine later. You're trying to squeeze in your neon. I got to. I love 90s. my neon. You know I love my early 90s neon. <laughs> so, But before we get into all of that, a little bit of housekeeping news you know, we're wrapped up on $2 late fee. We've wrapped up a whole month of tough turf talking about uh, James Spader, Robert Downey Jr. We had Olivia Barish on the show uh, from Tough Turf and Repo Man. Uh, Rolling into December, we typically save that news for our Tales from the Video Store, which is on our Patreon. And if you're not a Patreon subscriber, consider becoming one at patreon.com slash $2 late fee. But going into December for Territory Marks, the Iron Claw comes out in December. It's the story of the Von Erichs, and we are going to be focusing Territory Marks on the Von Erichs in December by having a very special interview at the tail end of the month and a mini tribute to the Von Erichs uh, towards the end of the year as well. So stay tuned for that. But if you want more information, again, sign up to the Patreon. That's right. And you've already seen the movie, right? I did. Dustin and I, unfortunately, Paul couldn't attend the Iron Claw premiere, but Dustin and I did uh, go to our Instagram page. If you want to see some pictures and video of that, if you know the Von Erich story, you know how hard it's going to be to watch that movie. If you don't know the Von Erich story, it's going to be hard to watch that movie. But I will say uh, some things aside that were omitted from the film, it is a 
probably the best depiction of wrestling on screen that I've ever seen in my entire life. Over the wrestler? For sure, over the wrestler. Really? Okay. Believe it or not. I, I But I'm speaking from a personal perspective of it is 80s to the max. Yeah. And there is this love of 80s. It, it is very much, it's not one of those period piece movies or like Wonder Woman 84 where there's no 80s music throughout the entire thing. And you're like, is this the 80s? This is like Stranger like Things where they try and run it, like run it down your throat or. Yeah. This Overdo is authentic it. 80s. This this feels like authentic 80s. It'll be interesting to get your take on it when you see the movie growing up in Texas, living in Texas. Sure. We'll, we'll, we'll cross that bridge when we get to it. Sure. No, I'm looking forward to that. And really quickly, uh, within the time that this episode drops, we will be at Comic-Con the following weekend. If you're in Los Angeles mm-hmm. at Los Angeles Convention Center, we'll be at LA Comic-Con on Saturday, December 2nd. So come check us out. Come to our panel. It's going to be a lot of fun. It's going to be very yeah. 80s. 80s. That's right. <laughs> and if you do come and you decide to wear boots, make sure you tuck your jeans or whatever your pants you're wearing into those boots just so that we all know you're one of us. <laughs> and if you do, I'll give you a Territory Mark sticker. How about that? Yeah. And if you add a fanny pack, I'll give you a a hug a territory hug <laughs> a bro hug <laughs> yeah we'll move we'll slide our fanny packs to the side so that we don't touch tips and uh touch zips touch zips yeah God, <laughs> that sounds terrible no it kind of does it just feels right it's it feels just right to, to touch zips or to not touch zips <laughs> just the sound Coming soon, touching zips. I think uh, Paul and I are working on an album. Uh, it seems like an album now. That's right. A couple yes, it's coming about. together. An it's EP. Zach's zipping it together. <laughs> yeah. Zipping Zach. Well, let's take the Wayback Machine <laughs> all the way back to <laughs> 1982 for your match. November of 82. Let's take it back. Uh, Paul, what is your match today? My match today is a well it's a unique it's a unique outing. We are in the home studios of Mid Atlantic Wrestling, Mid Atlantic Promotions. I guess that would have been under the Jim Crockett uh banner, is that correct? Yes, I believe so, yes. And we're in studio and world champion Ric Flair. He's wearing that golden beauty, yes. Not the big gold, it's the original NWA gold. He's not in the jet-setting Ric Flair suit either, you know. He's nope. in uh, kind of like workout clothes here. He's kind of more relaxed. Flair, he's got some, maybe some Adidas sneakers on or something. He's looking sporty. He is looking sporty. He's in the ring in what appears to be, well, an exhibition. An exhibition with Ric Flair, who is a legitimate amateur wrestler, mind you, I believe, uh, in the state of Minnesota. Right. And he is doing an amateur wrestling exhibition with two uh, local wrestlers, I imagine, in uh, Ron. Is it Ron Richards? Ron Richie. Ron Richie and Keith Larson. Keith Larson. That's it. And I believe he's starting off with Keith Larson. And um, it's basically for anyone who's done amateur wrestling or who's seen amateur wrestling, it's uh, one of them starting in a down position. And the wrestler who's in the top position uh, on the whistle tries to, you know, it's basically escape. You escape, you get the point. Uh, If you can't escape, then the person uh, who trapped you gets the point. And Flair is 
kind of just mopping the mat up with these two. He starts off with Keith Larson and um, gets away pretty easily and does the same thing with Ron Ritchie. And, and he shakes their hands. It's not like he's embarrassing them. He's just saying, like, hey, I'm the champion. I'm the best wrestler, not just here, but anywhere. And you know what? I'll, I'll show it. I'm going to prove, prove myself with two of your uh, up-and-coming guys, and uh, let's see what they got. And he, he shows them up. He shows who's clearly the better wrestler, and he gives them a handshake. That was one of the things that I really liked about this little opening bit was that he's not there humiliating them. He does his strut, mind you. He does his little flare strut because it's kind of like, hey, you know what I mean? Like, I just dunked the ball, and, you know, it's pretty sweet. Um, <laughs> he didn't have much trouble with either of these two, but he gave him a handshake, showed them a respect, and then he, uh, you know, a little workout exhibitions through. He's on his way out, and as he's on his way out, he notices, well, Roddy Piper's been there the whole time. He's dressed to the nines. He's actually dressed really well. It's looking and, good. Yeah, and I'm I'm blanking on the commentator's name. I'm very Bob Cottle. Is it Bob Cottle? It's Bob Cottle right there. Our, our main man, Bob Cottle. Bob Cottle and Flair uh, can see that. Hot Rod's not really that impressed. I guess he wouldn't be a Hot Rod at this point. He's probably just uh, Roddy Piper. Right. He might just be Rod. And uh, <laughs> says basically something kind of, I think, uh, Bob Cottle or someone makes the comment of, hey, why don't you go back out? and Or is that all or something? And Flair makes a comment of like, well, you're dressed a little too nice. Maybe next time or something. And as he's saying that and starting to make his way back to the locker room, uh, Roddy's already taking his or he's making his way to the ring and he's taking off within literally 10 seconds. He's in the ring in the down position, shirtless, jacketless, just in his suit pants saying, Oh, what was that? I'm ready. I'm ready to go right now. Let's see what you got. And Flair is in there as the champion, basically just called out. Uh, no, I want to see how you are with someone of my caliber. I'm just sorry, sweetheart. Zero dressed up tonight. Right. Take you in there and show you how to be an amateur wrestler. Understand? And he's, talk, he's talking to Roddy Piper. Hey, wait a minute, Rick. Rick, Roddy just took his... Roddy Piper just, just took his shirt off, got into the ring in motion. What about it, Rick? He's in the ring and ready. You want to wrestle me? Huh? Are you going to get in there? Hey. You going to get in there? With a great deal of pleasure, I'm going to get in there. Rick Flair is going to get in there as Roddy Piper is in there and in a down position. They're kind of, uh, what choice does he have, right? Okay, he kind of tucks that tail a little bit between his legs and uh, gets back in the ring. Okay, Mr. Piper, let's take a look at what you got. But no, 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 no. I'm down. You're up. So he's the champ. He redirects the situation. Ah, you're up, chump. I'm down. He gets down there. Roddy's sure gets the uh, the top position, um, and Flair can't escape. He can't escape so much to the point where Roddy rides him all the way to the turnbuckle. Right, and almost kind of like shoves his head into the turnbuckle and into the ropes, where it's like, yeah, you right. know. And Flair's not having it. You can see this is not at all what he was expected to go down. Um, I believe in this next one they do they reverse is this where they reverse positions and yes. it's kind of like okay you know all right punk I think Flair even says all right punk like let's see how you know let's see what you really got you know and Flair takes the top position Roddy you know 
uh, on the bottom position. And uh, a little bit of work in there, a little bit of work in there. But then how, you know, Roddy escapes, celebrates the, the, the enjoyment of the crowd. Flair's embarrassed. Uh, I was kind of waiting for Roddy to do the Flair walk thing, but he didn't do it. And I was kind of glad that he didn't actually, because it was just so much more real and kind of natural and Roddy and, He's kind of playing it straight, you know, he's kind of playing. Yeah. It straight. Yeah. yeah. Cause you know, and it, and it worked, I think it works it just in, in making this a real contest between these two top tier, you know, stars and it being seemingly impromptu in front of the audience, you know, the in-studio audience and the, the audience at home. Right. And, and you had said too, um, you know, at this point in Piper's career, he obviously wasn't hot, the hot rod yet. And but he was still he had been in the business for quite some time oh, yeah. up until this point. Yeah. What'd you say he started in what sixty nine or something like 69? that? When he originally yeah, kind of broke into the business, which is crazy. Right, right, right. And he had been all I mean, talk about a journeyman, you know, he'd he had been everywhere. So Right. Yeah, he wasn't uh kind of introduced to the territory here at, at Mid Atlantic. I think we were talking about he had feuded pretty much as a baby face against most all their top heels. Right. And so, yeah, this is a great, uh, this is just a neat, refreshing change of pace. And uh, so Flair having kind of been showing up twice now, okay, Punk, how about we try that one more time? You go on the down position. I'm not going to, you're not going to escape this time. Piper, okay, sure, you know, gets in the down position. And then Flair, what does he do? He's the dirtiest player in the game. Quick boot to the ribs, starts laying him in, starts laying him in, right? Piper's trying to fight back, laying him in, laying him in. They spill out. To where at this point, I believe uh, Piper starts firing back up from the floor and out comes Greg Valentine. Um, so out comes Greg Valentine. It's two on one to the point where Keith Larson and Ron Ritchie actually come back and it ends up being three on two. God bless him. For the most part, the heels are holding strong here because, you know, Flair's either beating up Larson and Ritchie by himself or it's... Uh, Valentine doing the same thing. He wasn't the hammer at the time, but you could see the uh, the early makings of a of a hammer ship here. I, I like this whole bit here. Like I like this whole same. segment. It turns into a match. Actually, Piper ends up pinning Flair before this whole thing spills out to the outside. He kicks him in the ribs and he starts putting a little bit of heat on him. Right, and then uh, Roddy comes back with something. I, oh, it's a swinging neckbreaker, I believe, or something. Yes. Or he counters a he counters a flare backdrop uh, attempt with a swinging neckbreaker, if I remember correctly, and pins him. Um, and and it's an exhibition, right? So it's not like he beat the he beat the champion, but he beat the champion. Yeah, he showed him up. Yeah, uh, he spills out. Uh, he goes out to the floor victorious and goes to Bob Cottle again and says, "Flair, I beat you." professionally i beat you amateur how many other ways do you need me to beat you or something and he says something else and as he's repeating it again then out comes uh flair but then valentine from behind with the cheap shot and then that's where he gets jumped there piper down on his knees is ready for flair and flair kicked him now jumps him over the rope neck breaker by piper Piper, who put that neckbreaker on Flair, coming off of the ropes and pending. I beat you pro. I beat you amateur. I beat you pro. What else you want me? Well, I'm nothing. You ain't nothing, man. World champion. Why don't you sign a contract with me? 
Well, Roddy Piper said he beat him. Piper said he beat you amateur. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Come here. Nobody does that to Ric Flair. I want that to go. Come on. I want that to go. You heard me right. Come on, Daddy. I want that to run at it. Come on. In the ring. Let's go. Telling you right now. In the ring. Come on. All right, Roddy. He, he wants another go in the ring. You go. I proved myself. I beat him professional. I beat him amateur. I got nothing. Come on, big boy. And here is Greg Valentine from behind. Valentine and Flair now both attack Piper. They've got him down on the floor. But it's chaos. It's chaos. Right. It's a great segment. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. What's so great about it, and I'm I'm like chomping at the bit because I'm I'm so excited about this match and what and and how different it is from what we well it's not different from our format because you always find some kind of obscure <laughs> off kilter match in some way and this is definitely adds to that greg valentine would continue to feud basically with piper for another year because they had their dog collar match at starcade in 83 oh, right. so awesome. i mean th- this speaks to our love of the territories where storylines would continue for well over a year uh you know occasionally now in the business they they still try to do that to some respect but back in the day this was commonplace right to have this feud continue on with different angles uh i mean piper's face gets rammed into the ground and that's right they're mashing his face in the floor the concrete floor and it's yeah, it's pretty brutal. I remember reading Piper's biography back in the day, and he talked about a time when, you know, they held him down in the back and they sandpapered his forehead and then iced it down and, you know, smacked him so the blood would come out. And stuff like that speaks to what happened it, because they're really pushing his face into this concrete oh, yeah. floor. It, it It's really uncomfortable to watch. Yeah, it's it's pretty rough. You're right. Um, but But rewinding that to the... The, the spectacle uh, of the amateur component of it. As I was thinking about this, as since we've been t- recording and talking about it was that in a way, you know, and this was something that territories would do as well is um, kind of these attraction things, you know, that weren't billed as a match or maybe they kind of came out impromptu and, right. you know, the, the equivalency of wrestling a bear or some, some sort of weird attraction, but, um, in this particular case of being amateur wrestling, this could even be the first, uh, rem like D- bits of DNA of like what would be brawl for all. You know oh what I mean? yeah! Like, wow yeah! Um, just in a sense of seeing wrestlers not like to actually wrestle, but not in the professional sense, like in a in a quote you know kind of a semi like a shoot legit like yeah. This reminds me of like watching the arm wrestling events, you know, uh, basic or the not opposed down, but, you know, similar in that sense of like martial art demonstration or something like that with the karate right. man. But um, this was the first time to me, this is the earliest version of that amateur match that I have ever seen. Same. I found it super compelling. I'm so glad you chose it. I want to know why. Why did you choose this particular match? I chose because I love Roddy Piper. He was, um, I was fortunate enough to be uh, in his graces many times to the point where 
he became a friend and a mentor. And so for me, anything that he's involved with, you can do no wrong. And then you add the opulence of, you know, a Ric Flair to the whole to the whole equation. And you think, oh, my God, that must have been an amazing match. And they had great matches, but this is something much different because it didn't start off as a as a sanctioned match and turned into more of uh, letting the big mouth get his comeuppance uh, and get beat at his own game uh, in a, you know, shoot amateur style kind of uh, bout um, that blew up in Rick's face and then it turned into him just showing his true colors as this dastardly heel, the dirtiest player in the game, right? Getting the help of Greg Valentine to come out and two on one and beating up uh, poor Keith Larson and Ron Ritchie. Hey, they got their moment. Yeah, they got it. They, I mean, hell, they, that's, that's a hell of a rub. Had they come back with a, a handicap match, you know, tag the next week with, Three on two. I ought to watch that. I, I would have too. Maybe they did. I don't know. This match is interesting to me because on one hand, you have Flair making Piper look good by humiliating him. But Flair also gets to look good in a villainous way, in a heel way, by getting the upper hand and knocking the crap out of Piper at the end. So it's a win-win. I think to me as an outsider watching this match, it's a beautiful display of how it should be done. The good guy looks good, doesn't look weak. The bad guy looks weak, but gets the upper hand. So you're thinking, well, how the hell is Piper ever going to pull off a legit win against this guy as good as he is? But that's to me, that's the art. That's what I love about this, that in losing Flair looks good. And winning, Piper looks good. And everybody at the end of the day, it's all good, right? And then getting beat up repeatedly, Keith Larson and Ron Ritchie look good. Because people, now we we know who they are. Yeah, because those two schmoes get to put on their resume, I got my ass handed to me by Ric Flair. But people look at that and go, well, you were in the ring with Flair? Okay, that's cool. We can put you in a match say, this guy is good enough to wrestle Ric Flair. He's good enough right. to be our champ in this local little territory. Right. We tried to come to Piper's rescue. Piper, like Roddy Piper? Yeah. And then Flair and Greg Valentine beat us up. Wait, what? You got beat up? By... Yeah, exactly. So they got the rub. Uh, that's a great point. You're right. It is a win-win for everyone involved. And I just love it. I love all the portrayals of things being a real sport. It, it's how it is. It's a real bout hey, we should all have some form of a wrestling background if we call ourselves professionals, right? So let's let's see who the best is. There's some of that bravado, that locker room bravado on display. You know, like, I wonder who is actually a legit tough guy over there. Oh, well, damn, Flair's holding his own. Damn, damn. Up oh, here comes Piper. Oh, okay. Okay. You know, so Piper's from the streets, and he knew how to fight. He's also an accomplished wrestler, and I love that they really highlight that here. I think it's really something special. And, you know, anytime you get to see Flair's shoulders of the mat for three, the old three count, it's definitely something special. And have it not be a roll-up for a change. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Pretty awesome stuff. And I also want to shout out the fact that Flair is wearing this dope-ass colonial, like, uh, I don't know, gym t-shirt or something it's like a dumbbell but it's bent or something like that yeah yeah. 
there's a vintage t-shirt company called Worn Free where they they take iconic t-shirts that rock stars have worn on stage and they make reproductions of them. This is way before T Public was doing their thing and whatnot. But it's one of those things where I'm like, I love vintage t-shirts so bad. It's like it and and I loved seeing wrestlers back in the day repping something, you know, um Dusty Sucks eggs or uh, oh yeah 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 piper would wear a shirt that said like i am number one or something like that right uh, you know the the ones you would get made up at a t-shirt company a t-shirt store sure. but the fact that he's repping some local who knows you know some local shop and then they're like watching tv going see flair's wearing our company on his shirt right yeah no i just again yeah this is how it should be this is how it should be presented i love it know? i love it man real deal Thanks. 1982. Well, I can we talk about the fact that E.T. was the number one movie that year? Of course. I was gonna. I was saving the best for last. <laughs> but but do you know yeah. what the number two grossing film was of 1982? The number two grossing film. Oh, you got to give me a hint. What genre? Telling me it might be you all of my life. It's Why true. It's Why true. You don't know that song? No. <gasps> Why would I know that? I whoa, 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 whoa. Hold on a second. Hold on a second. I was two years old. <laughs> so, so the song, It Might Be You, was uh, was featured in this. It Might Be You is by a very famous uh, artist named Stephen Bishop. You know who Stephen Bishop hmm. is? Wow. Okay. Are, you, are you a fan of Yacht Rock Radio? Like Michael uh, McDonald and um, uh, you know uh, Steely Dan and Boz. It's Skaggs. funny you say. Uh, I like Joe Scruggs. Um, <laughs> Joe it's funny Scruggs. You, it's funny you say Michael McDonald. I just what was I just? I just was watching something where people were hoping it was Michael. I, either way, I'm familiar with them. Okay, well, Stephen Bishop yeah. is Stephen Bishop is a part of that soft '70s '80s rock, right? Okay. Stephen Bishop wrote this song, It Might Be You, for this movie, this cross-dressing movie from the 80s starring Dustin Hoffman. Oh, Tootsie. Yes. Oh, sorry. I'm sorry. My semi-bigoted grandfather loved Tootsie. It was his favorite movie. Really? Yeah. The the guy who, I can't even repeat <laughs> the things he said when he worked for Chrysler in the shop. Was he like uh, Chris Cooper in American Beauty? No, he was more like Archie Bunker, basically. Okay. Uh, but, but fun fact, part two... It Might Be You is my song that I wake up to every single morning. It's my alarm that I wake up to. Is it really? Yeah. So if you want something to really to ease into your day, put on It Might Be You by Stephen Bishop. Telling me it might be you. It's such a beautiful song. And that's featured in Tootsie. That's the theme song, yeah. Great soundtrack if you really like that mellow gold. 1982, <laughs> mellow gold. It's soothing for your ear holes. That's all. That's all I got. That's all we got for 82 right now. Because I think 82 right. is going to come up a lot more often. But um, it is. We're saving it. Yeah. We're saving it. Yeah. So, but this this whole theme of this episode is about Flair 
putting over people while still looking good doing it. Looking real good. Looking real good. Should we get into my match? Let's do it. All right. I'm excited. February 17th, 1990. Flying Brian Pillman versus Nature Boy Rick Flair. Uh, this match has a lot going on in it. Was it the week prior? Uh, Clash of Champions. It was. It was the week prior. Clash of Champions 10 was where Sting was kicked out of the Horseman, very famously, and where Sting injured his knee climbing up uh, a cage trying to attack the Horseman at the end of Clash 10, obviously putting Sting on the injured list for several months, um, quite some time to later come back at Great American Bash, win the title against Flair, blah, blah, blah. But in the meantime... They needed some legit competition for Flair to feud with. Flair had the horsemen. They weren't complete yet. They were Ole Anderson and Arn Anderson and Flair. Flair had just acquired the services of Woman, a.k.a. Nancy Benoit, who also was known as Robin Green prior to that. Really? I didn't know that. Yeah, she came in as a fan, quote-unquote, of Rick Steiner and was Rick Steiner's kind of valet for a minute. And then she turned on Rick by forming Doom. And that's when Doom took on uh, the Steiner brothers for a little while. And then she left Doom and then joined forces with Flair. Wow. Which is interesting. And, you know, we talked a little bit about her with Kevin Sullivan. I'm sure she'll come back up again. Um, But where this all goes is that Flying Brian Pilliman, one of Sting's good buddies, he was the rookie in 1989. We talked a bit about that. I think on a previous episode, huge fan with Flair, ran with Flair, was good buddies with Flair. Flying Brian was so hurt by what Flair had done. And right after Clash 10, he goes on TV and cuts a promo talking about how, you know, he's had a lot of big wins and big losses being in the NFL. (laughs) It's a great promo. And then how Flair really let him down. You know, he wants Flair to answer to him. Why did he turn? Why did he make this choice? This promo basically gets recycled uh, with Jim Ross a week later on WC, or sorry, yeah, World Championship Wrestling Saturday night, where Pillman confronts Flair, calls out Flair to answer that question. Why did you attack Sting? Flair comes out, cuts a promo on Pillman saying, look, these things happen. Get over it. You know, uh, he even bad mouths the Bengals by saying, <laughs> hey, would the Bengals ever beat? <laughs> right. <laughs> if you don't like what I did, then shut me up. Basically, don't talk, just act. And then he asks woman to chime in and woman says, Brian, she's very, you know, timid in the way she talks. I don't think you know the difference between men and boys. And Pillman says, well, I know the difference between a lady and a tramp, which is gold. <laughs> so funny. It's gold. Flair gets pissed, orders Pillman to get in the ring, and they have their main event match later that night. Ladies and gentlemen, if you were with us here on a program last week, you heard comments Flying Brian made directed toward nature boy Rick Flair. And Brian, in case the fans did not hear those comments, what did you have to say? Well, Jim, you know, through the course of an athlete's career, you experience a lot of disappointments. The physical ones you get over, it's the emotional ones that stay with you in a long time. And I experienced a very emotional hurt 
this past week at the Clash of the Champions involving Sting and the Four Horsemen. But what I want to say to you now, Ric Flair, is I'm asking you to come out here and look me in the eye and tell me what happened. Well, Nature Boy Ric Flair is here with Woman. We've heard that they have uh, some sort of association. And uh, Rick, you heard what Blind Brian had to say about this situation. Let me be the first to say that Pillman, during the short period of time that you had an opportunity to travel with me, to learn from me, you came a long ways, pal. But like everything else in life, things come to an end. Just like Sting, just like everybody else that's ever gotten away of the horsemen, things come to an end. And pal, just because you played football for the Cincinnati Bengals and you're a friend of Boomer Esiason, who do the Bengals ever beat? Who have you ever beat? If you don't like what I did, if you don't like what I'm saying, then shut me up. Put on your wrestling tights and get in that ring right here tonight in front of all these people. Shut me up. Hey, come here. You can see I'm traveling in some heavy company. What do you think about this punk, huh? Tell a woman. Brian, I don't think you know the difference between men and boys. <laughs> I certainly do, and I also know the difference between a lady and a tramp. Hey, hey. Wait a minute, pal. That was a bad thing to say. You see, now, now, you let your mouth overload your ass. Put on your tights and be in that ring. You got an hour to get it done. Understand that? I understand it. Why don't you take a good look at yourself in the mirror and tell me what you see? We're all real impressed, nature boy, with your Porsche sunglasses, your $1,200 suits, your alligator shoes. Let me tell you something. Leave your visions of a nightlife, the after party, after hour parties, back in the locker room because I'm coming after your ass. All right, fans, uh, Brian Bryant and Ric Flair will wrestle right here today, and we'll be right back. After this quick promo, by the way, they, they flash an address on um, where you can write get well letters to Sting because he legit injured his knee. It was a bad injury. I remember watching that live in real time and just shocked. And I'm like, what happened? Because he was, you know, limping noticeably, yeah. but still staying, you know, still kayfabing it, trying to legit sell his anger against Flair. Um, but here we are with Pillman, the still, you know, relatively up and coming wrestler. Uh, yeah. We talked about Pillman's background when he wrestled Luger in a previous episode. Pillman comes to the ring to the tune of Rocket by Def Leppard. Love it. Best that. Yeah, it's so good. Yeah, it's so good. Flair comes out with woman to his tune of what is that? Zabrata, the theme song from 2001, you know? Yeah, but they play it from like the beginning. It sounds like it's, yeah, they play the extended version. The extended, that's right. Wrestling fans, the following contest on World Championship Wrestling is a special challenge match. Making his way to the ring from Cincinnati, Ohio, the Lion Brian Pillman. And he is not smiling. He is focused on wrestling the greatest competitor this sport perhaps has ever known, Nature Boy Ric Flair. This is a non-final event, a special challenge match made earlier in this program. 
and the fans are solidly behind Fly and Brian. Let's hear the introduction of Woman and the Nature Boy. Ladies and gentlemen, his opponent is a member of the Four Horsemen. He is the six-time and current world heavyweight wrestling champion. He's led to the ring by a woman from Charlotte, North Carolina, America. This is the Nature Boy, That's quite a pair, I'll tell you that. Nature Boy, Ric Flair, and woman. I would have never dreamed that Flair would have taken a lady in a professional level into his confidence, but he has done so. Ric Flair is a changed man. What woman has shown over the past several months that she gets everything she wants, so does the Nature Boy. I think it was inevitable that the world champion man and the world champion woman would eventually come together. Some fans say that she is the Leona Helmsley of the NWA. I'll tell you what, if Harry Hemsley had ever woke up next to that one morning, he would have had a stroke and he would have paid his taxes. They get in the ring, and what I love about this is, you know, it's kind of a back-and-forth match initially. Pillman is, you know, knocking Flair down easily with his chops. Uh, he nails a dropkick on Flair, knocking Flair outside the ring. But that's bad news for Pillman because Pillman is able to chop back and basically poke Pillman in the eyes, which uh, sets Flair almost up for dropping a chair on Pillman's head. Those unfoldable chairs, just those legit hard plastic chairs, right? And during this exchange, I love Cornette, who's a heel on commentary. Jim Ross is getting annoyed with Cornette, and Cornette says, you know, I wish you lived next door to me because I live next door to a cemetery. I love that. (laughs) Anyways, back and forth match. Flair seems to have the upper hand on Pillman, rolls him back in the ring. Pillman makes an immediate comeback until Flair hits an inverted atomic drop on him. Meanwhile, woman who's literally right next to him at ringside is just watching, nodding the whole time. That's my man. That's my man. <laughs> was she seated? I couldn't tell if at some point it looked she, like she was. Yeah, sitting she's sitting down. in one of those like little plastic chairs, you know. It's weird to see like a valet seated at ringside, like instead of what kind of pacing, you know? Yeah, because they portrayed her differently. Like she was his business associate, you know. Like there was something yeah. mysterious about woman. Um, which I appreciated. She wasn't just the, you know, typical valet. Right, right, right. You know, at this time, Flair's taking control on Pillman, dropping knee drops and uh, double arm suplex, but Pillman keeps kicking out. Suplexes by Flair. Pillman kicks out continuously until he finally gets an upper hand. He almost gets a sleeper on Flair, but Flair counters. And this is where Flair does his business. He starts working the knee, right? How would you describe that? Where he picks him up with one arm? Uh, it'd be like a one, like a, yeah, it's like a one-legged atomic drop. He gives the atomic drop onto the knee, uh, onto his exactly. knee. Every time he tucks Pillman's leg up and then picks him up like he's going to give him an atomic drop. But it's an atomic drop onto the knee uh, that's bent. So that starts the leg heat. It looks so painful looks legit painful to me it would be i mean i don't know about i mean i wouldn't do it to one of my bad knees but imagine getting picked up your knee gets bent so that your knee is fully exposed and then getting dropped right onto like um 
like a like a sidewalk like not a sidewalk but just like you know like like a curb or something yeah the railing or you know like that concrete part of like a rail just anything hard or just on but yeah so it exposes the knee at least you know in theory but um you don't see the guy giving it kind of sell his knee either sometimes but no because that's equally painful in some way. It, yeah, just just thinking about it hurts. Well, Flair's doing it right because he he's setting Pillman up for his eventual figure four, his signature move, which he does. He gets Pillman in the figure four. And, and at this time, of course, Flair, you know, when the referee Nick Patrick is not looking at Flair, he's using the ropes, working the ropes, and eventually Pillman's able to reverse the figure four which causes pressure, turns it over, which turns causes pressure on Flair's legs. So Flair has to release. Pillman regains control. Uh, Flair rolls out onto the apron and he, and Pillman starts to, you know, tussle with him, but Pillman, and he's about to suplex uh, Pillman out of the ring onto the concrete. And whenever this is kind of teased, I love it because it sets up this drama of like, oh my gosh, if he hits this move, Pillman will be dead on the ground. Because occasionally you'll see it where a guy will get suplexed to the floor and it's like, holy smokes, how are these guys going to get up? Yeah, nowadays I see it. I'm like, I still don't feel like that's should be done because it's so damn scary. But Pillman reverses it, suplexes Flair inside the ring. Uh, Pillman regains control. This is where we see Flair doing his great selling. You know, he tosses Flair in the air, who falls on his side. Uh, tosses Flair into the ring, into the turnbuckles, where Flair, Flair does his signature flip over the ropes and goes to the opposite turnbuckle. And that's when he gets to the top turnbuckle. And instead of doing what you would think he might do, right? This the the flying uh, where Pillman would come over intercepted. and press him. Yeah, he off. does his. Uh, he jumps off the top rope to hit Pillman, but Pillman hits him in the gut, right? Yes. Goes for a big axe handle or something. Goes for a big axe and handle. That's right. him in the midair, catches him in the stomach. The bread basket, as they say. The bread basket. Pillman goes for a sunset flip. Woman interferes. She botches a slap immediately and instantly. <laughs> yeah, I'm glad you said that. <laughs> I had to, man. She also stammers when she gives her promo earlier. And it's like, God bless her. She's trying. But she yeah. is able to hit um, Pillman in the face again, which Nick Patrick sees, but he doesn't disqualify her because it's a woman. Right. right. Uh, he brandishes her. Right. After that, Flair nails Pillman in the kidneys and he tosses Pillman outside the ring. But Pillman recovers, not like Ricky Steamboat would recover, where he grabs the ropes and flips over. But Pillman goes to the top rope and hits his signature move, the leaping clothesline, which I, to this day, love his leaping clothesline. He goes for the pin. Flair kicks out. Pillman goes to the top rope with his flying body press. He hits it on Flair, but the momentum flips Pillman over. Flair grabs the tights and scores the win. Shoulder up in the last second, but now he doesn't know where Pillman is. 
in his left hand scores a clean pinfall, perfectly legal on Brian Pillman. So in this process, Flair gets the win, one, two, three. But Pillman still looks pretty damn good because Flair cheated to get the victory. Yeah. And that is the match. Your thoughts. Loved it. I loved, like you said, the feeling out process at the beginning, the momentum with the shine there where he catches Flair at the big drop kick. It kind of sends him outside. They tussle outside until Flair uh, takes back over. Uh, I think he gives Pillman a guardrail shot. He does. To really get the momentum in his favor as they go back towards the ring. To me, it was neat to see where Blair, in my estimation, I would guess he was calling some audibles in terms of keeping Brian alive, fighting back, right. you know. Right. And, um, and and the reason I say is because when when something's called on the fly like this, it's a thousand percent chance of being more real than when it's overthought and kind of rehearsed um, because you are at the, you know, split second. And, and that's why I love, you know, that's why we love territory wrestling and all this stuff, because so much of this was just feeling the the flow and the emotion of the match through the, through the crowd in a way too. And, and through instinct, but because the crowd is hot for this match, by the way, the crowd's so hot and, and flair knows that. And he knows that keeping Brian alive and not just eating him up um, will service not only Brian, but the match overall and himself too, because he's sitting there ultimately beating the hottest baby face on the rise, you know? And right. so believe me, if Flair doesn't want to work with you, he's not going to work with you. So it's not, he's, he's, he's very, he's well aware of who he's in the ring with, especially going over with the, the cheat roll up. So uh, yeah, I just loved this match. I loved the difference in like you said the big bump at the end with flair coming off the big double axe handle and taking this the this stomach punch and and then you know it going into like the sunset flip and and woman with the botched uh slap <laughs> and then it, i also liked that the slap didn't knock him out you know like how ridiculous that would have been it just kind of phased him like what are you doing woman? yeah what are you doing woman woman <laughs> pun intended yeah and that knee, so as he's distracted, right, he gets that knee shot. Like, Flair hits the ropes and hits him with this big knee shot in the back. To the kidneys? Yeah. Yeah, and it just looks sick, you know. But then he tosses uh, Pillman outside the ring. That's right. He throws him over the top. That's right. And Pillman actually comes back with the springboard. Yeah. It's the springboard flying close. Love that. Um yeah, it's it's fantastic. It might have been one of the earliest, if not the first, of that kind. For me, it was the first time I had ever seen it when he when he premiered in '89. Yeah, I mean, there's a chance that I think Lanny Poffo might predate the springboard with one of his okay. own. Uh, I want to say at Madison Square Garden, where he had no knee pads, <laughs> and he does a springboard up to the top, and I want to say into kind of a moon salt. And that might have been the first I saw. And I think that might have been 87, 88. I could be okay. wrong. Either which way, doing it where Brian does it in kind of 
just off center of the middle is still one of the hardest places to do a springboard. Um, now, mind you, these old NWA WCW ropes were always that, that ring is always pretty stiff. I've been in those rings and they're always pretty stiff. And those are elevator cables uh, that they're using. Those are also pretty stiff. Oof. So um, it's impressive. Nonetheless, flying clothesline. It's awesome. You want to think that this is it. Did he get the big surprise victory? Uh, no flair kicks out. Uh, here comes the big cross body. Now, I love this finish just because it's exactly what you want a bad guy to do, right. a heel to do the, the you know the big uh, grab the tights kind of at the last second to get the extra leverage. There's the one two three puts extra weight on the shoulders. There's no way Brian's kicking out. He's not knocked out, right? He's just there's something going on where he can't quite get a hmm, and it's there's that cheating going right. on. Now I love this so much because it keeps them both strong, gets the point across, but. Ah, uh, to think that Flair looks good in this victory. I I have to call the elephant in the room. I don't think Flair wore very much in terms of white or light colored trunks. Yeah. Uh, after this, because the camera positioning is basically right on Flair's ass, and there's a giant, like weird wet spot, kind of brown. <laughs> Um, right on his ass. Yes, yes. Sweat stain on quote unquote. A colored sweat stain. It's like a darker. It's weird. It's, yeah, it's very dark. It's a very dark stain. Yes. It's 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 gross <laughs> and distracting. Um, you're welcome. So yeah, that I thought was <laughs> yeah. That kind of just took my attention afterwards. <laughs> but I loved it. I loved this action. Did you pull the DiCaprio from uh, Once Upon a Time in the West where he's like, whoa, 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 we're right there, we're right there. I'm, yeah, pretty much. Yeah. I was like, I've, I've been there. That's happening. <laughs> <laughs> um, but those are my thoughts. Yeah, <laughs> I enjoyed it. Look, I look, loved it. And, and, and the cool thing about this match is there's a lot going on. There's a lot of complex things going on behind the scenes because – Sting is injured, will not be wrestling Flair for quite some time. So who's going to replace Flair or who's going to replace Sting in the interim? They flip Luger to become a babyface when he was a legit heel right before that, which is really yeah. frustrating. As a wrestling fan, I was like, how's that possible? Because now they're making Luger seem like a babyface um, and to wrestle Flair later on in the month at Wrestle War. And, you know, it's neither here nor there. There's a whole angle that, you know, will Luger answer the challenge to Flair at the end? Uh, or well, what is Luger's decision? Will he take the match against Flair or will he join the horsemen or something like that to that effect? And that's a whole angle that they keep kind of selling along the way. But this makes Brian Pillman look like a legit talent, a legit contender. For Flair, right. they would go on to wrestle each other a couple more times during his Flying Brian years, which I think last until about, you know, late 91, because this storyline would continue on for another year uh, when NWA officially became WCW in 1991, unfortunately. Unfortunately. <laughs> to me, that's where my most of my matches will stop in 91, because... 
You know, that's the end of the NWA as far as world championship wrestling is concerned, um, which is a bummer to me. And the belt obviously had changed at that point. It was the big belt wasn't the NWA title because it was the world championship wrestling title. Uh, and, And that's all history. But this match to me. Uh, is also a match I'm very thankful for because when I watch this match on when I watch this match on TV, it reminded me that anything is possible. That a guy, I looked at Flair at that time as the man. I didn't look at Hogan that way. I looked at Hogan as larger than life. I looked at Flair as a wrestler, and I I thought, well, Flair is the man, the evil, you know, ultimate epitome of evil greatest heel at that time and who's going to kick his ass and Pillman came so close and he had that fire and I just being a young kid I I was inspired by Pillman I loved the flying Brian gimmick uh it was it was legit cool for me so it was nice to revisit this match with you specifically oh yeah no it's I hadn't seen it in forever so it was enjoyable as always I mean these guys are ahead of their time and these matches still Hold up more so than most. You know, I'd rather watch this than anything on TV now. I'm still captivated. I watched it three or four times in prep for this yeah. episode, and I'm That's like, "Why this show exists?" Right, exactly. <laughs> uh, but these, these, I got a couple moments from 1990, February of 1990, that might oh wow be shockers. Ninja Turtles. Um, well, c- video game themed one of them uh, in February of 1990, Nintendo had previewed this game earlier in December when the Fred Savage movie The Wizard came out in December of 89. Uh, Super Mario Brothers Part 3 came out in February of of 1990. Yes. Were you a big Super Mario 3 fan? I think so. With the flute, it had a flute. Oh right, that was probably the end of my Mario days. A good trilogy, you know what I mean. And I don't even remember two, two and three kind of mold together for me. Well, the, Nintendo's gone on record to say that you know two is not the strongest of those three. Okay, uh, but three had like he had a, a statue Underwater? suit where he would turn into a stone stone statue. I don't remember that. I just remember the raccoon suit. The raccoon suit was great. It's such a yeah. fun game. I love it. It really was. Yeah, I loved it. So. Uh, on the on the music tip, Aerosmith appeared on Wayne's World on NBC's Saturday Night Live to perform the theme song Wayne's World. Let's do it. All right, here we go. One, two, a one, two, three. Wayne's World! Oh, wow. It's pretty badass. When was the last time you saw Wayne's World 1 or 2? Oh, man, it's been a long time. Do they still hold up, you know, do you think? or I often think that about Austin Powers. Like, does Austin Powers still hold up? Does Wayne's World still hold up? So I Married an Axe Murder still holds up. So, okay. And that's my favorite of the Mike Myers movies. Um, Interesting. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say Wayne's World still holds up. It's got to still okay. hold up. Yeah, I feel like I would watch it and see some things where i'm like oh my god that was so funny like i'm like i think some of the people that are in the car with him his friends or something 
One of them's a Deloise, I think, uh, a Deloise. Yeah, that. I think maybe Lee Turgeson might be one of them as well. I think he is. Yeah. Yeah. So. Wow. From Oz. Yeah. From Oz fame. Yeah. Yeah. I was gonna say <laughs> from the collection and Texas Chainsaw Massacre, the beginning. Oh, that's right. Well, look at you with the deep cuts. Of course. <laughs> no pun intended. No pun. Yeah. Right. Last uh, fun fact from 1990: The Death of the Incredible Hulk premiered in February of 1990. That was the literal quote-unquote death of the incredible hulk for 12 years put your hands behind your head i battled the beast within me i want to destroy it and be human again at last my fight for freedom is over but if he destroys the incredible hulk will he also destroy david banner there is a chance i can rid you of this thing and now nbc presents a world premiere event please no the end of a superhero legend Death of the Incredible Hulk. Bruce Banner, uh, or sorry, David Banner, because they changed his name, donned the, uh, well, Lou donned the green and purple for one more time. And it starred uh, Elizabeth Grayson, who I've mentioned to you offline. She was in a movie called um, Lower Level, where uh, there's a security guard. And uh, I think David Bradley's in that movie. Oh, okay. As a heel. Uh, yes, I believe he is, actually. And was that the one where you're like, I didn't finish seeing that? Yeah, David Bradley and Jeff Yeager and Sherry Shattuck. Uh, if all you uh, After Dark fans out there want to see Lower Level, go check it out. <laughs> did y'all cover that? Y'all did, right? Not yet, but I think it's going to come up. Oh. I think it's a movie she tried to forget <laughs> about for a while. But did you see The Death of the Incredible Hulk? No, I'm not even really familiar with it. I imagine Bill Bixby as well. And... Bill, of course, Bill Bixby. This one came, um, there was one right before this that had Daredevil and Kingpin in it. That sounds familiar. Yeah, Kingpin was played by John Reese davies That one was The Trial. The Trial of the Incredible Hulk was the, the, the one I really dig. It's when uh, David Banner had a beard. Um, uh, Matt Murdock was played by Rex Smith. Um, of course. And... Oh, and The Incredible um, Hulk Returns featured Thor, uh, played by Eric Allen Kramer, who you'd like recognize. That. He was in Robin Hood Men in Tights um, as Little John, I believe. Okay. Yeah. Big, imposing dude. Yeah. He was cool. He was yeah. I like that dude. Um, yeah, that's cool. That one was really good. And so this one came out and everyone was like, yeah, who's the supervillain going to be? Eh, nobody. Some evil scientist. So what was the death of? He basically uh, comes back one more time to like save a scientist and his wife that get kidnapped. And I believe there's some sort of uh, electrical explosion or something where, you know, it just takes all the energy out of Hulk and he eventually dies. No way, as Hulk, or does he shrivel back into like Bill Bixby he, and then like turn back I, into like a baby boy and then <laughs> like, like, a, like an embryo? Like a werewolf and then, kind like, of an thing? Acorn. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This reverse lichen evolution. <laughs> right. Well, um, yeah, Death of the Incredible Hulk <laughs> was the final time Bill Bixby played David Banner. And, you know, it was it basically wrapped up that whole story. How many seasons did that run? Because I loved that show as a kid. I mean, it wasn't something that I knew. I was aware of what time and what channel, you know, it's just like if I saw it and it was on. It ran for four years, 78 to 82. Okay, wow. Anyways, 1990 was the death of the Incredible Hulk, the rise of uh, uh, Brian Pillman, 
and the continuation of Flair being the ultimate heel. I loved 1990. <laughs> Me too, actually. Um, but here we are, a Flair for the action, uh, thankful for Ric Flair, thankful for Brian Pillman, thankful for Roddy Piper, thankful for you listeners for joining us on Territory Marks. Don't forget, next month we're going to pay tribute to the Von Ericks. We've got a special interview as well. Sign up to our Patreon and you'll know all about it. And patreon.com slash $2LateFee. And give us a review on Spotify and YouTube. You know, in the outro. Listen to the outro. It's a lot of fun. Yeah, guys, thanks for joining us. Paul, any parting words for this Territory Marks episode? Do your homework. Watch the territories. Mind the road. Don't veer too far off because you never know what's in the woods. In the territories, nobody lives. Yeah, thank you all. We appreciate it. Um, we hope you all get some enjoyment out of this. If anything, at least, that we may lead via breadcrumbs to look these matches up for yourselves and enjoy them. We're pretty enjoyment proof here. We we comb through pretty pretty good. Uh, yeah, we do. I like to think that Zach has a whole library of just like matches already ready to go. I do. Um, <laughs> whereas I get lost in the forest looking for this stuff, and then I end up in a tree, and I come down with a bushel of acorns, and I'm like, "This is what I found." Oh, but your acorns are, are, are ripe and ready to be eaten <laughs> by squirrel. Good. I'm actually going to go feed squirrels right now. Nice. Really quick. All these matches are in our show notes. Included as well, the promo that Brian Pillman gives on Flair and with Woman as well. So, uh, yeah, until next time, take that road less traveled. Bring a bag of peanuts and uh, feed the squirrels you see along the way. I do. Happy Thanksgiving, y'all. Happy post-Thanksgiving, I guess I should say. Happy didn't go crazy for Black Friday. There you go. Success. Happy you survived Black Friday. Thanks again for listening to Territory Marks. If you like what you hear, then consider giving us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. While you're at it, head on over to our Patreon, too. The link is in our show notes. And if you want more 80s nostalgia, go check out my tag partner, Zach, and our Terry Bam Bam of Ballyhoo, Dustin, over at $2LateFee.com, where the faces always win, even in the territories. Listen, I just wanted to say goodbye and remind you that the good guys always win, even in the 80s.
after he had loaded the boot, get rid of the load. You're listening to the Geekscape Network.